Welcome to Stay Grounded with your host, me, Raj Jana. I'm the founder of Java Press Coffee Company, and my life changed after my mentor died with three months left until retirement. That experience inspired me to start a personal journey to discover how we can all live a purpose-driven and meaningful life starting today. I interview everyone from best-selling authors and business moguls to extreme athletes and monks to discuss happiness, success, and fulfillment to uncover powerful takeaways that empower you to stay grounded and make passionate living a reality. To access post-podcast discussions, insights, and further resources, visit rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded. So thanks for joining me today. Now, let's get to grinding. Yo, yo, welcome to episode 49 of Stay Grounded. Hope you guys are having a fantastic morning, day, or evening, wherever you choose to tune in from wherever the world you're choosing to tune in from. This week's guest is a friend and early mentor of mine, Mr. Jesse Elder. So for those of you who don't know Jesse, uh, you guys will understand why it's so hard for me to pick a title or a uh, career or profession for the man because he seems to have so many damn talents. Uh, Jesse is an action philosopher. He's a spoken word poet. He is a, a martial artist. He is an avid traveler. He is a pianist. He is a um, an inspiring, just inspiring human being who chooses to live and move through life at an incredible frequency that inspires me to do more. So I stumbled upon Jesse a couple of years ago when I was on my own early on entrepreneurial journey of creating Java Press, and I stumbled upon a video of him creating uh, what he now deems Mind Vitamins, which are these videos and almost daily reminders of just how to create and inspire a more fulfilling life. And I remember watching one of his videos and I found something very unique about Jesse and just the way that he shows up, the clarity that he expresses what's going on in his world and how he can articulate some con, some con, uh, not, uh, I'm like stumbling right now, some confusing and maybe even metaphysical concepts to a much more actualized state. So something that we can take some, a lot of things that we've heard around visualization, manifestation, and bringing that back to the core of what that really means. And bringing that back to the core of how that applies to our daily lives and how we can go about creating and living and doing and, and manifesting and experiencing life at the frequencies that we've always wanted to experience. And so Jesse is a huge inspiration to me. Uh, I stumbled, I met him about a year ago at an annual event that I attend in, in, in Utah. And uh, we, I mean, he was just as inspiring in person as he was um, through, through the internet. But if you haven't already, check out some of his videos. You can go to jesseelder.com. You, uh, he's got incredible, just free meditations that he gives away. Uh, which have been hugely beneficial to me just on visualizing and manifesting what I want in my own life. And I practice his meditation every morning. And just in general, uh, Jesse's got such an, such an incredible story from somebody who uh, was kind of left alone as a kid to just play and explore and be curious and how he took that, that, that upbringing to then move forward and create uh, to go and practice martial arts. And then from there, to go and start his own line of dojos. And then from there to just live and travel the world and inspire others to be incredible. So his mind vitamin videos have been gotten millions and millions and millions of views on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. And um, so anyways, the guy's just super inspiring and I'm so glad we got to sit down and really dive into um, how he moves to the world 
what he does differently than everyone else and how we can all just go about creating the lives we really want and staying grounded through it all. So hope you guys enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. And But before we get started, if you haven't already, uh, go ahead and subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review. Let us know what you like and don't like. And join the Stay Grounded community on Facebook. We have tons of discussions around these concepts and post-podcast discussions. Just head to rajana.com forward slash stay grounded to dive in. And yeah, just uh, hope you guys enjoy this one because this one was a lot of fun uh, for me. I always love to... Uh, I love that, you know, the podcast has given uh, me personally an opportunity to to converse with and, and dance with um, individuals that I've that I've personally stumbled upon in my own journey. And so uh, this one is no different. So hope you guys enjoy the genius and the inspiration that is Mr. Jesse Elder. Yo, yo, yo! Welcome back to another episode of Stay Grounded. I am your friend, Raj, and who am I looking at right now? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Mr. Jesse Elder, how are you, my friend? Really good, man. It's great to see you. It is so good to see you. Yes, again, I feel like I've been seeing you more and more in my life as of late, and uh, that just makes my heart really happy uh, because... can feel your soul from a million miles away. And so, um, but it's so good to have you here, man. I know we've been trying to make this dance work for a while and, uh, and here we are tap dancing away. Love it. Um, all right. So I already intro to you, uh, in my own words. And so I'm going to just kind of dive into some questions I've always had selfishly wanted to ask you, but never actually got around. Cause it seems like we're always just playing in different, in different ways when we're actually together. Um, and so um, the first question I had for you, Jesse, is I've really never met anybody who uses the power of visualization the way you do. Um, and you use it in a really unique way. Was there an experience in your life that made visualization the preferred method of, of sort of manifesting future? And what was the first time you realized the power of visualization in your own life? Uh, man, you know, it's funny. I've, I've done... Uh, thousands probably of conversations, interviews, things like that. Nobody's literally ever asked me that question. <laughs> well, <laughs> start off with a great start. And here's, and it's the weirdest thing, man. It is the weirdest thing. I, you know, growing up, we all, we all daydream a little bit or a lot. You know, some of us get in trouble for daydreaming too much as if there's such a thing. Um, and I, and I know there, there are a lot of hard charging people in the world who say, well, you know, you've got to wake up sometime from your dream and take action. Um, my experience though, is that, that when we're kids, we all do it. So when I was a kid, I did it. I would just daydream sometimes for hours, just imagining and thinking and not even with an outcome, just thinking about it. Um, but one day I don't even remember how old I was probably 10, 11 years old. I remember, uh, hearing this Bon Jovi song on the radio and just like, ah, I love that song. And I wanted more than anything to own that song. You know, I wanted to be able to play that song at will. And it was the weirdest thing, but I would just think about it. I just wanted it so badly. And then I would kind of forget about it and just wait for it to come on the radio. One day, some relative, probably I think it was my grandmother, ended up giving me the CD. And I just, in that moment, it was like my little brain thought, there's nothing I can't have. 
it, as weird and silly as an example as that is, I remember wanting it so badly, turn around and a couple of days, weeks, whatever later, I actually had the thing that I wanted. And I, and I just remember making that connection. And it was almost like a promise to my future self. Like, don't ever forget this. You can have whatever you want. You just have to think about it. You just have to focus on it. And the way will be made clear. And it was just like some deep, deep, deep knowing. And, uh, you know, I was, I was very fortunate to have, have, uh, you know, parents who, who kind of stayed out of my way a lot, who loved me a lot, supported me, but didn't uh, direct me very much. And, uh, and I think that's another thing that a lot of us have is this innate desire, this innate knowing of what's right for us. Uh, and then it can get clouded, you know, teachers, parents, you know, church, religion, things like that. And nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just that usually, well, not, not usually, always, they don't know what's exactly right for you because nobody else is living your life. So from an early age, man, with that Bon Jovi CD, <laughs> I remember thinking, holy heck, I can have whatever I want. I just have to think about it and imagine it. And then, and then as I grew older, I just started doing the same thing. I would imagine myself, you know, earning my martial arts belts, or I'd imagine myself, um, you know, going and riding my bike and, and having adventures with friends and, you know, outlandish stuff that as my life has unfolded, I recognize that there's these boxes that just keep getting ticked. And I'm like, how did this happen? But then I remember promises that I made to myself when I was 12 and then 17 and then 21 and all like, it's going to happen, man. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. In the meantime, just enjoy everything else that's happening. And that seems to be the sweet spot. Active appreciation of what is not in a resigned sort of way where, yeah. you know, yeah. suffer through it. No, man, it, like perception is reality. Yep. And if somebody's not happy with their reality, it's their perception of the things around them that's causing it. That may sound harsh for somebody that's in a tough spot, but I've been uh -huh. there, you've been there. And, uh, and literally, man, they, they we're, we're projecting all of this from the inside out and that's always under our control. Yeah. It's the story you tell yourself and the story... Yeah. It's a story that you say and believe and and it's it's your own journey that you just sort of manifest and sort of create. Um, I was having a really good conversation with a friend about um, about 9-11 and uh, he was talking about some of his clients over at uh, just after 9-11. Two stories. One was a client, same place, same income level, same everything. But one client said, oh my gosh, 9-11 ruined me. Mm -hmm. And then the other client looked at that same experience, exact set of circumstances, nothing different. And he said, I should have seen that coming. Mm -hmm. And that one shift in perception makes all the difference in the world. Now, I want to go back to what you were mentioning, Jesse, about um, us being clouded by churches and schools and parenting. Um, you seem to, at every step, it sounds like just from your own story, that you were able to remember what you really wanted and stay present in that mode of active appreciation. What do you think it was about that process or why do you think you were able to sort of evade some of the clouding that might come from uh, churches or schools or, or different life experiences and distractions? Um, and, and, and why do you think that you were able to sort of manifest that in that, in, in, in such a, such a clear manner? I think that's fascinating about you. I appreciate that, man. I, um, I've always had a, a, a sort of interesting relationship with authority. Um, 
you know, I, I grew up homeschooled, um, not for any other reason than that. My father was a school teacher and he saw some of the system. He was like, yeah, our kids aren't going to do this. So, you know, he and my mom homeschooled us, but home, our homeschooling was basically, and there's five of us, I'm the oldest of five. Our, my, my memory of, of growing up was do your chores in the morning and we'll see you at dinner. And that was about it. And the rest of the day was filled with kind of following what my interests were. Now, we also didn't have a TV, you know, for, for years on end. And then when we did have a TV, it would, you know, wouldn't have very good reception. And then when it did have good reception, you know, we'd have like three or four hours a week that we were allowed to, to pick out and watch. Other than that, TV was off limits. Uh, there was no other screens. You know, there was a kind of a moratorium on screens during yeah. the day. So it was like, you know, my, my dad put all these books on the table one day and he said, you can read whatever you want. And he walked away. And I remember I was like seven, eight years old. And I remember thinking, man, I'm so free. I can read whatever I want. Looking back, you know, 20 years later, I was like, that joker, I see what he did. And I called him. I was like, man, that was really smart. <laughs> you made me feel like I had all the power. I could read whatever I want. And yet he's the one that picked the titles out. <laughs> And I was like, dad, that was really smart, but come on, man. Iliad and the Odyssey. I was seven. Like, did, did that need to be a, on there? <laughs> but it turned out that that was a really cool thing. And, and so as a result of that, I never had uh, any external uh, authority saying, this is what you have to do. It's for your own good, etc." Now I went to a Catholic, uh, you know, I was baptized Catholic. My, you know, my, my mom was Catholic and, and uh, they thought that that was important. And I thought that was cool, but I didn't experience it as, as uh, restrictive other than feeling terrified at moments that I was going to go to hell because I would always fall asleep in mass because it was so boring. But then I thought, no, if God wanted me to stay awake, he would have made the mass more exciting. So then I was fine. Then I was like, no problem falling asleep in church. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a powerful reframe. Um, and and let, me, let me ask you this. So, Sounds like from, from a young age, you were essentially let free, which allowed you to take ownership of the things that excited you. Um, That's a great way to put it. Yeah. For, for people who, who haven't actually gone through that and weren't given that freedom at a young age, to sort of cultivate that curiosity for life. How does one go about now infusing it into any point of their existence? Great. That's a perfect segue, Rush. And, and uh, I would say that at this point, anybody who's still listening to us and watching this, this video and listening to this interview probably separates himself into one of two categories. And this is obviously a total generalization. Um, but somebody's either listening to this and thinking, this is some BS. Who is this shaved-headed, bearded guy who just <laughs> like, floats through life and doesn't have wants and blah, blah, blah. This is, this is a bunch of BS. Or they're thinking, hmm. There's something there and that resonates with me. I don't know exactly what it is, but I'm going to keep listening. So if, if you're watching this, if you're in the first category and you think I'm full of it, uh, you're right. I am. Nothing that I'm going to say is going to be of any value for you. So save your time. Uh, maybe send Raj a thank you message. Say, don't have your broker on again. But Raj, you're awesome. Um, and, and I'll see you never. Like that's <laughs> If you're in the second category though, and you're like, all right, there's something to this. Here's what I would say. Um, this is when logic can be an amazing tool for you. Because if you feel a desire, an impulse, some sort of a, a compulsion to explore any vision, you want to travel, cool. You can't travel, don't have the time, money, okay, whatever. The reality is the time and money that you don't have is actually a practiced story 
that has created the conditions that lead to the reality of not being able to travel. You might want to rewind that or push that back another 30 seconds and hear that a few times. Um, but you can do this. You can go on Lonely Planet or you can go on couch surfing or you can go on robreport.com and look at the high-end stuff. Just feed your mind with the images that resonate with you. And don't worry about how you're going to do it. Just enjoy the feeling of how it might feel to go and do that. And then use logic as, a, as an app, use logic as a tool to then look around you and see what's actually stopping you. Because unless you're you know, watching this uh, on Wi-Fi in a penitentiary and you are physically restrained from getting up and traveling, uh, or maybe you're in the military and you have an obligation and maybe you have other obligations. Maybe you're in the, you know, maybe you have a job, you have a family. Here's the thing though, the more that we analyze all of our situations, all of our conditions in life, the less re actual restriction we'll find. The more you begin to split test, which, where are the resistances, you'll find that they're all inside of you. And even including the person who is um, serving in the military. And I, I say that with a lot of respect because these are people who have donated their lives, given their time, their energy, in some cases, their actual physical lives for something that they believe is more important than them. And then I have a lot of respect for the power of that choice. Um, but that being said, you can still control your thoughts. And maybe it'll happen now, maybe it'll happen later, but it can always start happening right here. And that increases the odds overwhelmingly. So if you're watching this and you're thinking, yeah, there's things I want to experience, but I can't, just, just ask yourself, is that real? Or is that a story that you've been practicing? I, I went to the same room, my martial arts school, for almost 23 years. Every week, hour after hour after hour, I stepped onto the same mats and taught class to different people year in, year out, over and over and over again. And I've taught tens of thousands of classes. I've indirectly and directly, I've taught hundreds of thousands of people and trained people mentally and physically, emotionally, um, you know, in their, in their fighting, in their fitness, uh, in life skills and sales and marketing and, and meditation and uh, relationships and sexuality and, and travel and freedom and all this stuff. Not because I'm the expert in this, but because I've always been sort of curious about the things that I'm not supposed to be able to do. And the reason I share the thing about martial arts is because I've just put in the time and I've had tens of thousands of classes and I've observed that there are actually no limits. I've watched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people every week bump up against their limits of what they thought they couldn't do. And with a little coaching, a little pushing, and then just encouraging them, all of a sudden they began to astonish themselves. So I've seen it firsthand for years. And now being out of that industry and being out of that building and out of that, that business, I, the world now is my dojo. The world is my classroom. I'm a student perpetually. And I'm always uh, about an hour away from any international airport where I can get on any flight and go anywhere in the world. And that's a freedom that I value highly. One which I used to think was impossible when I was teaching all of those classes, I now know is an inevitable reality if you simply uh, allow yourself to control your own thoughts. Jesse brilliantly said, man. Um, good question. Um, what do you fear? Good question, man. Um, I, I ask myself that sometimes, and I, I can't come up with anything anymore. Um, 
for two reasons. Number one is because the the feeling of fear really is an, an energy, and uh, the word isn't something that that uh, really resonates with me. And I've and I've analyzed myself, and I've asked some of the best people in the world to please look at this for me because is there something I'm avoiding? If so, I want to know what it is, and I want to confront it and, and learn from it. Um, I can't think of anything. You know, there there are uh, that might sound like it's coming from a place of privilege. Um, but man, I've, I've been to the edge. I've, I've, I've looked into the abyss metaphysically, metaphorically. Um, I've been in such a dark place in my life that I was like, you know what, why the, why am I even still here? Life is pointless. You know what? Let me just reset ready player one. Let me just exit this avatar, you know, AKA, you know, off myself. And then I thought, okay, well, now that I've experienced that dark energy, I'm going to stick around for a few more levels. Next thing you know, I had a, a real appreciation for that energy, for the lessons and the presence that it taught me. And if, if today was the day that I get you know, hit by lightning or something, um, cool. Like, I'm not worried about that. And because I'm not worried about dying, I've stopped worrying about living. And all the full things that living includes, which might in the past included fear of rejection, fear of poverty, uh, fear of being alone, lo- alone, fear of being sick, all of those fears that I used to have until I realized they're not useful. And so I just little by little uh, eliminated them through thinking more powerful thoughts that were more useful. And by split testing those paradigms, I was always able to beat the control. And now I have an OS that is um, pretty resilient. You mentioned fear as an energy. How does that energy feel to you? Um, A lot like giddiness, (laughs) like butterflies, like uh, excitement. you know, I've had some, some really amazing friends who I've shared some pretty awesome experiences with. And some of those have felt uh, scary, you know, skiing fast, skydiving, uh, deep diving, um, you know, doing, uh, experiencing certain substances that are not uh, necessarily safe or legal and being told if you're going to do this, you need to be prepared to die, knowing immediately that A, I'm not going to die and B, if today's the day, so be it. I have to experience this. And um, in the absence of that energy or in the absence of the, of the restriction, there's only freedom. And so that energy actually becomes very powerful fuel that, uh, that carries you. Yeah. And it's almost like a, like a compass, if you would, because mm-hmm. the same energy that one would consider fear can also be considered butterflies. Or I think I was watching a video a little while back. Um, and it was, a, it was a Simon Sinek video, and he was talking about uh, interviewing an Olympic athlete. And whenever the broadcaster would go up to the Olympic athlete and he'd ask him, hey, are you nervous? Uh, the athletes would always say, no, I'm kind of excited. Uh, but because the broadcaster doesn't understand right. that the same energy can be transformed, to them, it's nerves. But the same energy to someone else can be something completely different. So. Well, and- I'm really glad you mentioned that, Raj, because that what, what those broadcasters do, and I mean, their job is to create a story. Yeah. And they know the audience, by and large, being a, an average person, uh, and we know the audience is average because they're watching TV. <laughs> Hitting them where it hurts, Jesse. Hitting them I'm where it hurts. Saying, I'm just saying, man, the world is made up of spectators, creators, and players. You know, And, and so you know, if you want to experience life, go create, go play. Um, anyway, a whole other topic. But the, the point is that uh, a, a, a reporter's job, a broadcaster's job is to relate to the audience, not to reveal hidden, powerful truths. And so when, when the broadcaster says, are you afraid? 
they're really saying something the audience is going to relate to. But the, the, the athlete doesn't experience it because they're not average. They don't live average lives. They elevate their standards. They operate on a totally different set of rules, which means they don't have to deal with the same shit that everybody else deals with. Yeah. But what's interesting is when we take that same approach that the broadcasters use and we project our feelings or the audience's feelings onto the athlete, the same thing happens. When you see somebody who's homeless, for example, and we project our feelings, our fears, our insecurities onto that person, and we actually put ourselves into their reality, and then we respond emotionally to their reality as if it was ours. Mm. So we see somebody who's in between residences, aka homeless, and we go, oh my God, that's terrible. Well, that person is actually not suffering the way that you would if you were to be popped into that situation. They've acclimated, they've adapted, they something amazing about human beings, the way our brain and, and this universe works. When you're placed in situations of extreme stress and strain, you have access to resources that are unimaginable to somebody who's not in there. If you've ever been in a, a life-threatening situation, you know what this feels like. All of a sudden, everything slows down. You operate differently. And to other people, it might look like you're getting your ass kicked or it might look like terrible things are happening. But in that moment, there is almost a state of bliss a state of grace where you're in a totally different frequency, totally different reality. So we can't judge someone else's experience, whether we perceive it to be positive or negative. We can't unless we're actually there. Let me ask you something. I've actually, I'm really curious to hear your answer on this. Um, so I've always believed that you can access those heightened states or increased brain capacity, whatever you want to call it, by forcing yourself into struggle. So if you create struggle in your life, calculated struggle, whether it's creating a business, doing something out of your comfort zone, growing a product line you didn't know anything about, asking that girl out, it doesn't matter. When you create struggles that are out of your normal life, you can access those enhanced states on demand. Um, have you experienced anything like that in your own life? Yeah, uh, there's a great, great distinction. And for me, the answer is yes, uh, frequently. Uh, in the beginning, and it was a big deal, approaching the woman, uh, asking for the sale, entering the tournament, uh, learning a new style, entering a tournament in a new style that I wasn't that good in, you know, going to a grappling tournament when I've been doing Taekwondo my whole life. Those are experiences where you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But the moment you commit and you actually are standing up and approaching the, the, the person you want to talk to, or you're actually asking for the sale, then you look back and you realize that all the, the fear was kind of made up and then eventually you realize you're making a, a way too big a deal out of it. The payoff from doing that isn't that you get used to struggling. It's you realize all the struggle is with yourself. <laughs> and when you, when you accept yourself 100% unconditionally, when you um, appreciate yourself unconditionally, and when you actually love yourself unconditionally, the world starts to reflect that every single time. And you begin to live without resistance, other than the resistance that you consciously are selecting for the purpose of enjoying the game. Why do you think your mind plays resistance on, on repeat again and again and again in, 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 in the conventional mind? I'm not saying in your yeah. personal life experiences, maybe in the past, but why no. do you think once you experience, like, for example, you know, if I do something that's out of my comfort zone and I realize that that's, and I, and I overcome it, all of a sudden I realize I'm not dead or my life's not over, shouldn't logically we then start to associate all discomfort with that same 
sort of frame. Why do you think our brains don't operate that way? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great question. There, uh, there's the, the why and then there's the how. How our brains do it is by repetition and practice. You know, we've got all these neural pathways. We've got energetic patterns, emotional patterns that we're used to uh, firing off and we're used to living in that frequency. But just because we're used to it doesn't mean that that's what it has to be. So that's how it happens. Why it happens is because we actually live in a, in a society today that is completely designed to create average people. It's 100% designed to create average people. Uh, anybody who's ever had a traditional educational experience um, where grades are competitive, where there's only so many A's, B's, et cetera, or you're competing with everybody else in the class, or at the very least, you are um, in kind of institutionalized to conform and do what everybody else is doing, uh, that creates a, a class of average. Now, somebody listening to Staying Grounded and somebody who's following you or somebody who's connected to me probably isn't in that category and yet still lives in that society. So how it happens is practice. Why it happens is you keep practicing it because you do live in a modern society, which is created, engineered for to reinforce average. Yeah. Um, so if this is the case, the question then is, how do we create new ones? How do we create new normals to where making you know a record income this month doesn't feel like a big deal? Having a, a body that's full of energy and you just wake up feeling so much love, that's normal. Or engine, how do you engineer a life for yourself where you wake up in the morning and you've got message after message after message that you got over the night from people all around the world that you have intimate, loving relationships with and they're messaging you and thinking, I was thinking about you. I hope you slept great. I hope you had great dreams. Love you so much. And you spent an hour. I mean, I did that this morning. I spent an hour this morning messaging people that I love and I care about. And that kicked off my day. It's a pretty good Friday. But that didn't used to be the case. So how do you create it? New experiences. Every day, new experiences. Experiences that you look back on and go, Wow. <laughs> That was pretty good. And it, to me, it's an absolute travesty that somebody who can live their life using free will would choose to do average, boring things because they're going to live their other life later. It seems insane to me that at the end of the day, you know, they just did another day. And next time you see them, you're like, hey, how's it going? They go, oh, you know, same old, same old. What? <laughs> Sentencing yourself to death. You actually, no, death is far more exciting than that because you're not bound by a physical body anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a whole other conversation that we could, we could spend hours talking about. I want to, uh, I want to dive in to the idea of engineering um, change or a new reality or excitement when you're surrounded by average or mediocre or when the world just wants to keep you that way. Um, what's a way to accelerate that process besides doing, so let's say I'm starting to do new things now. Um, how do I accelerate this? Because in the age of social media now, there's digital, there's like, whether you want it or not, you're getting bombarded with lots of average information. Are there filters that you use in your own life to sort of sift through that and just let the gold come through? And what yeah. does that look like? Yeah, very, very, very good. Uh, in the beginning, I realized that I was, every once in a while, I would have a non-ordinary experience, like in martial arts. I, I sparred with all the guys in my school, but then every month we would go to this other school and everybody from around the city would come and we would have this big sparring night. And all of a sudden now you've got like 
30, 40 different sparring partners that you didn't have before. And that was a non-ordinary experience. Hmm. I began to look forward to those. I began to crave those. And after a few months of doing that, that became an ordinary experience. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm, but I, I want more. I don't want this. I want something new. And then I, I just kept my eyes open. And eventually I got invited to go and, and train at this other school. And everybody there was better than anyone I'd ever seen. I got my ass kicked, not, not hard. I mean, it was very respectful, but I was, I completely got beat. There was, I had no chance of scoring on anybody there. They were so much better. And I realized that I'd found my new training home. And so I did whatever I could to get around that. And then as I kept doing that, that, that path, I realized that the actual fastest path to creating these wonderful new normals is you have to change who you are training with, not, not even who you're hanging out with. And this is, again, this is how this sort of sinister, uh, I don't even, it's not a conspiracy. It's just sort of the default that this, this is another lie. You are, you become the average of the five people you spend time with. Bullshit. That line. Yep. (laughs) Not true. Whoever you spend time with is, is, is irrelevant. Who are you training with? Who are you studying with? Who, who are you coach? You know, who's your coach? Who's your mentor? Because if you're not investing time, energy, and money, and, and I, I recognize that, you know, having part of my business as a mentor, as a coach, I realize that sounds self-serving, but I'm a client of, uh, I'm a product of the product. Yeah. And, and so who you are investing energy and time to be around um, that is the quality of your life. And so, you know, when, when, when uh, a couple months ago, I realized, man, I, I love music. I love playing piano. I don't know anything about electronic music and I want to learn to start mixing. You know, you know, I have all these ideas in my head that I can't get out because I don't have the skills. So uh, there's a, a good friend of mine, you know him as well, Sammy uh, Shoebox mm-hmm. Moses. And so I hired Sammy to be my coach and I paid him a bunch of money to go and, and, uh, and show me how to do this thing because I know that A, I recognize his, his talent and I respect his experience. I also know that if you don't pay, you don't pay attention. And so, you know, could I learn it at YouTube University? Sure. But then I'm out of integrity with my own principles. So I paid him, got on the fast track, learned so much in such a short time and became a new normal for me. So how do you get a new normal? Look at your time, look at your money. That tells you what you're committed to. Do you think uh, experiencing new normals makes, how does that impact self-awareness? Uh, it dramatically expands it. Uh, not only expands your awareness, but expands yourself. Um, you know, if you, if you have a little rock in your hand and you're turning it around, pretty soon you can have a, a pretty good awareness of the surface of the rock. Mm. All of a sudden. Such a good example. Your awareness expands. And let's say instead of looking at it visually, now you're looking at it with an electron microscope, same rock, but now you're looking at the interstitial spaces between the molecules and you're actually looking at a submolecular level, even to down to the level of the atomic structure of the rock, same rock, same self, but the awareness is expanded. But then take that metaphor and now all of a sudden you don't just have the rock. You realize that the rock is not a rock. It's an entire planet. And now you've got all this territory to expand or to explore and to observe. So this is by having non-ordinary experiences, by having new normals all the time, you're not only do you expand mentally, emotionally, physically, socially, financially, uh, relationally, 
um, intellectually, linguistically, creatively, strategically, conceptually, sexually, theologically, la, 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 la. You expand in all these different ways, but not only is yourself expanding, your powers of perception are expanding too. And so it's just this brilliant thing. It's like you've got headlights that can shine out, you know, a hundred yards and you're going 50 miles an hour. But all of a sudden, let's imagine you start going hundred miles an hour. That's fast. Scary though, if your headlights only shine a hundred yards, but with an increase in speed comes the increase in illumination. All of a sudden now the headlights go out 10 miles, except now you're going a thousand miles an hour. And the faster you go, the farther you can see. And it's a luscious cycle. Farther you can see. So essentially investing in new ordinaries, increase your perception of self, which then allows you to turn the lights inward, then outward to visualize as far as you want to go. That's brilliant. And I want to talk about that because that makes me really giddy on the inside. The concept of using self-awareness as a tool or increased self-awareness as a tool to see the future. Um, do you, the more you invest in yourself, do you see the future more clearly or do you just see the steps you need to take to create the future you want? Um, I see the future more accurately. Uh, and I no longer hold the future as a separate place that's at some mythical spot in the distance. Um, I recognize that linear time, uh, as we know it, as we were taught, uh, linear time is an illusion. It doesn't, doesn't actually exist. Um, it's a very useful illusion because it prevents everything from happening all at once. You would be um, psychotic and schizophrenic if that happened. But um, linear time doesn't actually exist. So what we think is the future is actually happening right now elsewhere in uh, some sort of um, sub-perceptual field. So when we have imagination and we think we're imagining something in the future, uh, what if that's actually happening right now and there's another version of you because if, if your consciousness is truly unlimited, then it can be individuated through all these different avatars, let's call them. And that means your avatar right now on the microphone and my avatar in the, in the vehicle, we're sharing this, this uh, boop, you're poking in through consciousness this way. And then I'm over here, I'm like, hey, and we're like having this conversation. But really outside the frame, there's all this other reality that is all part of your consciousness. So what we think is the future is actually happening right now. And when you imagine it, well, what if that's just the memory of your future self thinking back to you right now? So you're actually feeling it as an imagination, but what if you're actually just catching a memory that you're sending back to yourself? So are you saying that, just so I understand, and for everyone listening, are you saying that with, when, when, you, when you think and realize that, everything is happening at once. You can actually remember the steps you'd be taking. Like it's almost like instead of remembering like what happened yesterday, you're remembering what's going to happen tomorrow. Remembering forward. Yeah. Okay. That is like, that's an amazing concept. So, but that's only useful if you have self-awareness. Like Um, it it is, or if you can suspend your disbelief long enough to split test. Okay. What does split testing mean to you in this sense? Uh, It means here's the thing. Everything that I share is a description of what I do, um, not necessarily a prescription for what someone else should do. Mm. And so, you know, I made a video called uh, Time is an Illusion. And I posted on Facebook and the thing has like 10 million organic views, hundreds of thousands of comments. Many of those comments are really uh, violent, very angry. They're like, this is wrong. How dare you? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, one guy posted on there, he said, I'm not going to join your, your deathless time cult, you bald hippie. 
<laughs> I'm like points for creativity, man. But, creativity. but, uh, so I'm not saying that this is the truth. Uh, cause I actually stopped asking what's true a long time ago. Uh, I started asking what's useful. And so I found this to be the most useful frame, uh, that I've yet to experience. And so when I think about the future, I don't imagine it as something that might happen someday. I treat it as a reality that's happening elsewhere. You know, you're sitting in your room there. I'm sitting in my vehicle. Both of us are sitting in two different places at the exact same time. I just envision my future as being another room that's happening right now. And there's a version of me in that other room that I can't quite see, but I can feel, I can sense. I just don't act like it's someday. I just imagine it's right now. What is that guy doing? How is he thinking? What is he feeling? What steps, what does his normal look like? And all of a sudden I get, begin to get ideas. I begin to get downloads. It's like, like having 24 seven access to cosmic Google. You always know exactly what to do. Your intuition becomes uh, tactical. You rapidly calibrate. Um, you, you eliminate fear. You begin to feel a sense of deja vu in a very loving, positive way because ultimately it's you in the future that's always got your back. Yeah. Jesse, if, if you had a son or a daughter right now, what is the one thing you would teach them so that they can adopt this in a simple way? A um, couple of things. Uh, I, I wouldn't teach them. Um, kids don't really listen. And nobody listens to what we say. Words don't teach. Uh, experiences teach. And so the way to influence children is to be a happy, well-adjusted adult who practices holistic hedonism. An adult who lives according to their own pleasures and their own desires in a way that is beneficial and, and uh, respectful of others. Kids who grow up seeing that tend to become adults who live that way. And so um, I wouldn't teach them anything. I would do an awful lot of things, same as I do now. And I would invite them to participate in some of them, uh, not all of them. And, and mostly I would stay out of their way. Yeah. Staying out of their way and letting them play and grow and, and test and split test and, and live, man. I mean, I think that what's, what I love most about you, Jesse, is that, you, you truly are a man who is forging your own path as we sit. Like, and I'm, rem I'm remembering. You're remembering. And so you're literally just walking a path that in your mind already exists. And it's masterful um, because it always ends to, it always ends up leading to something that's an amazing experience for you. So what role does presence play in your life? And how does one cultivate presence? Is that a product of curiosity? Is that a product of understanding? Where does presence come into this entire equation? And how does one cultivate that skill? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that you're, that you're uh, taking us here to, to kind of close things out. Presence uh, is the inevitable state of a human being who suspends their addiction to linear time. I'll say it again. Presence, uh, powerful presence, being a hyper-present completely focused on right here, right now, that is the natural state of a human being who suspends their addiction to linear time. Most people are extraordinarily good at thinking about something that might happen and usually thinking about it from a negative place, aka worry, which means they're not present. Or they're thinking about something that happened 
that they wished it didn't happen or they're worried might happen again now they're back in the future. And they spend their, their time, their energy split between the future and the past and very little of their actual presence and energy is right here, right now. So by eliminating the past and eliminating the future and becoming more present, which can be done through practice, through meditation, uh, et cetera, you, you literally begin to experience a totally expanded awareness. And it's like your, your nervous system, your, your body, our brains actually, uh, we are not containers for information. We are conduits. So we are receivers and transmitter of vibrational frequency, which we call thought and feelings and words, but it really is we're much more of a vessel uh, than we are a, a container. So when you open up that awareness and you become more present, it's like going from you know dial up back in the day, you know, with the internet like that, going from dial up to fiber, and you yeah. immediately have this massive, massive, massive upgrade in your carrying capacity. And this is why we revere artists and musicians. And this is why we're seeing such a, a uh, um, an explosion of improv right now, because we recognize that that's actually experiencing timelessness. And you experience ideas and thoughts coming as fast as your ability to express them. Um, sometimes the ideas and the energy come faster than someone's ability to express it. And it's a little unsettling. Uh, many of those people live in their own realities and we call them crazy. We sit walking down the street, talking to themselves, or we lock them up or drug them. But really, they just have a more and more robust inner reality than their physical apparatus can deal with. Um, but when you allow yourself to experience that more and more and more and more, uh, it is overwhelmingly benevolent um, because of the base frequency of, of uh, life is light uh, and is actually love. Let me ask you on that, though. So you previously, you spend some time, you have to spend time remembering where to go next, um, which to me is in a way thinking about a version of, is it thinking about the future? So or like, I guess I'm trying to understand how much time is spent being present and how much time is spent remembering, or are they both the same thing? Well, it's all the same thing. I mean, when you're, when you're thinking about the future, you can only do that right now. So it's a good point. Yeah. You can only think about the future right now. So then it just the question is, how does it feel when you're thinking about it? Do you worry about it? Or do you daydream and, and think about the Bon Jovi CD? You know, I mean, if you're thinking about something that hasn't happened, or at least not in this linear time, but it feels good while you're thinking about it, that's incredibly productive, incredibly powerful, because you're magnetizing your present moment to align with that reality. And then little by little, it kind of blinks in and next thing you know, you're living it. Uh, and I'm, I don't mean to suggest you just think about it and it happens. As you think about it, the energy multiplies, the energy expands, and pretty soon that energy becomes an impulse to act. And then to resist that impulse would actually be uncomfortable. So that's where inspired action comes in. So thinking about it, I mean, I, I invest time every day thinking about the future, thinking about what I'd like to see, how I think it's going to happen, uh, being open to something even better, allowing the universe to, del to delight and surprise me. And uh, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. One last question on presence, and then I've got a last question for you. But um, what about being present with things like pain because like pain's not a comfortable thing to be present with like it hurts or it doesn't feel good or it makes you sad or grieve so how does one make that choice to be present with pain it takes a tremendous amount of courage a tremendous amount of courage uh, and this is why when we see people who have had the courage or who have the courage to be with the pain 
um, not fight it, to allow it to flow. You always get the, the, uh, a result of expanded capacity. You always experience a depth, a clarity, a wisdom, a deeper peace, because the suffering goes away. Suffering wears off if you stop feeding the story. Pain is a mandatory experience, but a fleeting one. Pain, most pain comes from resistance to the pain. If you stop resisting it, you just allow it to flow, it flows. And it's sort of like, it just cleans you out. And then at the end, once the storm passes, you're left with this massive, massive upgrade in clarity. And then we look at those people and we go, oh yeah, lucky for you. And you've you've heard this, I'm sure. I know I've heard it to a certain extent. Uh, And it's very, I won't call it trendy. I mean, it's a real thing, but it's very uh, popular lately to hear things like privilege, especially, I mean, I'm a white American male. And I wasn't even aware of that because I grew up in, in South Texas. I was the only white kid for you know miles and miles and miles around. So I grew up pretty much blind to color. And then I started having people comment on my Facebook page where I'm talking about these things and talking about power and light and beauty and truth. And people are commenting going, sounds like white privilege. I'm like, mother trucker, you don't <laughs> Let's, let's go back in time, man. Privilege is getting my ass kicked for years. Privilege is investing hundreds of thousands of hours and hundreds of thousands of dollars to be around the best people in the world so that I could find cool, relevant stuff to then share with people, most of which I share for free. So I don't want to hear the, the privilege thing, but I recognize that it is a pain point for people who aren't there, who see someone that is, and they wish they could be there. Well, do what they did. You know, it's like this, this quote, you know, don't seek the masters, seek what the masters sought. Mm. And so if you're in pain, let yourself be in pain. It's not permanent. It doesn't last. And pain is, a, is an acronym for presence, awareness, insight, and then new. Get, allow yourself to be present with the pain. Pain, that's the reason pain exists, is to get your attention. Once you're present, you will develop some new awarenesses of yourself, of your circumstances, of the choices that led to this. Um, and there's always beauty there. From that awareness comes insights. Then from those insights, you'll invariably develop new choices, new behaviors, new trajectories, and you're off on a whole new level. And you never have to repeat that level again. So it sounds like pain. There's, there's two kinds. One is, is actual grief and the other one is what? The ego? Is it, is, it, is it the ego not wanting you to surrender because of pride? It, it can be. Uh, I think the ego gets sort of a bad rap, and this is probably another, we, we can do yeah, another. We'll, yeah. um, but e- ego, man, everybody's got one. Another sort of acronym. Everybody's got one. Uh, ego is your, just your sense of self. Yeah. It's just if you think that's all you are, is your body and your name and your money and all that, that's a pretty limited way of going. But if you recognize that those are just like pieces of your avatar, but you're also the director, the writer, the set designer, so you can have whatever you want. You're the, you're the, you're the casting director. So everybody that's in your life, you actually put them there. Then it gets a lot of fun. Yeah, man, Jesse, this has been such an illuminating conversation, man. Uh, I'm really grateful we got to do this. Uh, everybody who wants to follow Jesse, get involved with him. We'll make all these links available, um, but just head to jesseelder.com. Find the mind vitamin community everywhere. I mean, he, Jesse is, uh, Jesse is the modern day action philosopher. And I am grateful that I get to spend this time with you, my friend. Um, Likewise. Last question for you. Uh, so in the midst of your life, everything you've seen, everything you experience, uh, where you're going, where you've been, how do you stay grounded? Great question. Um, mostly me- meditation is my go-to. 
every day, 20 minutes. Uh, I drop in, I do a particular four phase meditation and it, it is, man, every time it resets my brain waves, it defrags my nervous system. Uh, I come out of it and no matter what was going on, it's like a hard reset. I look at the world through fresh eyes. Uh, I feel like a, like a, like a kid excited. Um, so meditation, I can't recommend highly enough. There's actually, if people want a copy of it, they can download it for free on my website, jessielder.com. Just look around. You'll see it's a four phase meditation. It's called prime light. Super, super powerful. Um, even if you think you can't meditate or meditation is not for you, just put this audio on. It will put you in an amazing spot. Best part is it's free. I'm not, not just my meditation, but silence. Silence is free. And if you struggle with silence, it's because you need to just be quiet for a little bit. <laughs> So, as as the uh, you know all the old Mexican grandmothers in my neighborhood growing up would say, "Cállate, shut up." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love that. That's like, I love we're ending on this. This makes me so happy, yeah. man. Again, Jesse, thank you so much for making the time and my for pleasure, sharing, thank you, sharing you with in all of your all of your light and love with with my audience and with just us, man. You're just I think you're doing so much good in the world, and I just I can't wait to see where that goes. Um, Likewise, but, brother. But everybody, that is a wrap for this week's episode of Stay Grounded. I'm your host, Raj. This is your friend, Jesse. And from us, Stay Grounded. We will talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of Stay Grounded. I hope you found this interview helpful as you create your own ways to live an extraordinary life. For more resources and support, please visit www.rajjana.com forward slash stay grounded to join the official Stay Grounded Facebook group, a place where aspiring life enthusiasts can connect and ignite passion for life together. My hope is that the positivity, content, resources, and support in this group will resonate with you on a deeper level. That what you hear in our podcast, read in our thoughtful posts, or learn in our courses will empower you to live with intention, uncover true purpose, and challenge the internal dialogues that stop you from being who you really want to be in your life. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Stay grounded.